Welcome to 801 Critical Conversations Beyond Backstage. Tonight in the pod bar, we have Herman, John, and me, Jen. If you remember from our previous episode's last call, we welcome J. Brianne Morgan. What is the best way to put yourself out there as a new professional? What a great prompt. What a, what a great thought. You know, it's something that, uh, speaking for myself, I'm pretty removed from. You know, I've been in my current job for quite a while. Um, and, and I graduated from college a long time ago. All of a sudden that sort of snuck up on me. So I haven't thought too much about how to, how to put yourself out there. And I think for me, when I started off, uh, I was Mr. Say yes to a beer after last after loadout or whatever, and, and building that professional network um, in all of the gigs I had, and, and and whenever I could take a job, I would take it. So whether that meant pushing a road case in the middle of the night for a loadout, or doing a summer long contract or whatever it was. Um, I think my professional network and, and probably a lot of the listeners uh, have, have met me in that kind of context. And, and that is how you sort of start out in this industry in, in a lot of times and finding the ways to uh, build trust with, with colleagues and, and, and be someone that people want to work with. So, What's interesting to me, John, about that is what you didn't say was, well, you have a resume and a portfolio, right? Uh, one of the things for me as an educator that I think about in terms of this topic all the time is how to prepare students to do it, right? The minute they walk out, they're unemployed, <laughs> potentially. I mean, maybe you had a, had a job in school that you are maintaining, but potentially you're unemployed. Your parents are no longer helping you. Maybe they never were. So what are you going to, what are you going to do to sustain your life? And when I was in school and graduated, it was like, well, I have this, this resume. And at the time it was like a DVD um, that we painstakingly burned on our gateway computers. Right. Um, and somehow that was supposed to become a job. Um, but that's, that's not it. Right. What John's talking about is it. It's, it's the network. And so how do you network yourself as someone who has just graduated or just finished some sort of training program or just decided I'm going to change careers and try this entertainment industry? How do you network yourself? Um, and, and I will also add that most of the current and previous jobs that I've had as a quote unquote professional and, and someone that's been in the field for a while has come from my extended network. Someone I might've met one or two times and being able to forward them a resume, forward them a portfolio. And, and maybe I didn't work with them. Maybe I was introduced to them because someone I knew worked with them or they went to one of the universities I went to or is a friend of someone or whatever the situation is, but being able to send that resume uh, and, and say, you know, if you don't remember, we met four years ago at this conference 
uh, I saw your job posting. I'd like to learn some more information about the organization and tell you a little bit about my skills. And here's my resume and a link to my website. And make it easy for the person to to want to help you and want to connect you because now as a person who sometimes is doing the hiring, doing hiring is a is a huge pain and a lot of work. Yeah, yeah. And I think the biggest thing that I struggle with what both of you guys are saying is uh, not that I don't agree by any means is that yes, you've got the obvious routes of, uh, okay, I've graduated, got to put myself out there. It means I just got to start applying to everything that I come across, right? Uh, so uh, uh, looking up job postings and applying like that way, but then there's the less obvious track of this networking track of putting myself out there as in like putting myself in those circles of people and, and talking to people and, and, and developing that small talk and that networking. And boy, do I suck at it. Like, I am not about that at all. All those like, uh, like what you see at conferences, there's always that five to like six o'clock window, five to seven o'clock windows. Like, hey, come to this cocktail reception, free snacks and a couple of drinks and meet other first timers here. No. Herman, that's only <laughs> one, that's only one definition, one moment of networking, right? Like networking can just be taking the job and doing the job and then, and then connecting or reconnecting after you're done with the job, just shooting a text, an email, a Facebook message, whatever, whatever your preferred uh, form of communication is. Um, I was in a training in December and they, it was not about networking at all, but they defined networking as create a net that works. Right. So you're, you're graduating, you're out there, you're like a solo individual with no net underneath you to catch you. Right. So you need to create a net that works for you. But networking is, is really terrifying to some people. If we think of it in specific terms that make it, I have to approach a stranger and drum up a conversation out of nowhere, right? That's not the only form of, of networking. I, I think that um, it's, it's, it can be a learned skill. And the more you exercise it, the more comfortable you are with it and the better you are at it. And I guess I, I don't want to do sort of a cliche analogy, but it's kind of like riding a bike because it, like balancing on two wheels, like is intimidating. And when you think about it, if you remove the familiarity that we all have with riding a bike, right? Almost anyone can do that and ride a bike, but there's a lot of balance. There's a lot of coordination that goes on with riding a bike without training wheels. Um, so it's okay to have those training wheels on. And, and I try and help my students with that. And I will say to someone, to someone in my network, hey, I'd like you to meet my student so-and-so. They have these traits or these uh, interests or these skills that relate to you. And whether that's a professional thing or a personal thing that I happen to know about 
uh, know about my networked person and my student or whatever, uh, trying to find that common ground. And, and it's really about finding common ground with people and, and that helps you build, uh, that helps you build your network. And, and it doesn't necessarily need to be uh, a hobby or a profession or whatever, but you're both from New York, right? Like that's a thing. Oh, even though you're 500 miles away from where I'm in, in New York, we're still in New York and, and my wife always calls me out that I can talk to anyone uh, because I'll find something to like, some common ground to discuss. Uh, and, and I was not like that for, for a long time until uh, I forced myself to become better at professional networking. Yeah, and I guess something that I will say is uh, that I've primarily witnessed is that I'm also just uh, surprised in a good way of how how much like ultimately you're just be for those that kind of shy away from the networking you're just kind of your own obstacle uh because the ones that kind of do strum up the courage to do it like i've always been surprised of just watching that person go up to somebody else and just outright just ask them a question like hey you're so and so uh i wanted to meet you uh here here's what who I am, here's what I do, we've made a connection and just like outright being very professional about it and making it kind of business, they, they kind of lead with the business and then it may end up being a more casual conversation, but uh, being a little more bold and the, the recipient of that, uh, I, I've seen a lot of people just kind of respond very well to it and just engage in that conversation and, and willing to kind of go out there. Um, so, so yeah, it's de definitely not only is networking a good thing and positive thing, uh, but also to just kind of strum up that boldness to just go out and ask the question you want to ask or meet the person you want to meet. Uh, that's also feasible too. I, without getting too much down a, a rabbit hole, I do want to say that I think that as mid-career professionals and late career professionals, we have a responsibility towards young people to receive that boldness and that courage correctly, right? As a female in this industry, I can cycle back through many moments where networking environments were not positive, and it was not a reflection of me. It was a reflection of the person receiving my mm -hmm. professional behavior, right? Mm -hmm. And that re reception of my behavior was because I was female. So I don't think networking environments are, are always um, easy for certain people. And I don't just mean introverts, extroverts. I mean, certain genders. I mean, certain sexual orientations, certain races, um, those environments are not always friendly. And so I would really love to see the, the more established people in the industry really welcome and, and be kind and fair to the young professional who is, who's going out there with their courage and saying, hey, I saw this project you did. Can I talk to you about it? And be mm -hmm. generous with your time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. First, I want to say, Thank you for sharing that, 
because as like a six foot, 200, whatever pound white guy, I have a lot of different experience in that, that comes from privilege. And the fact that if, if you were at a conference and gave a description of what I looked like, 80% of the conference would fit that description, right? So I have a little bit uh, of privilege, a lot of privilege in that, in that networking game. I recently was in one of these uh, COVID, you know, workshops or whatever, and, and the topic of networking came up and, and a, a good friend of mine uh, taught me some stuff in the fact that the person presenting said that they don't have a lot of use for a resume or, or stock interview questions that this person who was a above middle-aged white guy uh, was always much more interested in going out to lunch and, and getting to know the person. And, and I could see, I learned that that is a way of perpetuating the white guy club because a white man is gonna have more in common with another white man. And so they are going to find more uh, things to discuss and more of a baseline for conversation that maybe maybe a younger woman or a person of color may not find the same uh, connection with that person. And that's not that's not where our industry should be headed. Yeah, uh, going back to what Jen was saying earlier, uh, I too want to echo uh, the thanks for sharing those other vital perspectives that we need to hear. Um, but it also hears, uh, when she says that the older generations need to kind of uh, be more welcoming and uh, be better about what they're sharing their time, uh, it kind of also hits upon the topic of just mentorship, uh, kind of promoting a bit of, of that mentorship, mentee relationship and how those of us that uh, would consider ourselves better footed, better established in our industry, uh, kind of looking back and recognizing the struggles that we went through and no need to kind of pass the struggle on. Let's just make it easier. Uh, so, so yeah, let's, let's promote that mentorship um, opportunity. And there are mentorship programs out there as well. Uh, so if, if you were looking for something more formal, uh, that could be done. But obviously mentorship doesn't need a formalized program. It's just something that you just do. You just kind of advocate for yourself and, and promote that uh, relationship. Um, uh, definitely if we need to come back to this, to this uh, kind of subtopic here, uh, welcome to, but also wanted to slightly start shifting over to uh, something else that Jay mentioned uh, during the last call portion of one of the things that she was unsure of while figuring out how to uh, put herself out there is something else that she said was union or non-union track. I think the biggest question is what the union can do for you. Um, and it's been sort of a, 
on and off again relationship with me and IATSE. Um, and I've had the opportunity to, to join before, uh, but the juice wasn't worth the squeeze. Uh, however, right before everything shut down with the pandemic, I was about halfway towards enough credits to go after my card with the local in Buffalo, um, local 10, and to be, you know, a stagehand and, and work in the venues around town, uh, which I've worked with them on and off for my entire professional career. And even, even when I was a student, I worked for them on and off. Um, so there is an initiation fee associated with it. Uh, and, and if that's something you want to tie yourself to long-term, uh, my understanding is it can be difficult depending on the local, whether you can transfer your card or not. Uh, and, and I don't have all the answers. Um, I think that as a person starting out, uh, taking calls with the local can be a great opportunity to make money and like a fair amount of money and be taken care of and, and learn some stuff. There's a fair amount of locals out there that have training programs. There's also the IATSE training and trust program, which will provide uh, training opportunities to members. So there's huge amounts of benefits aside from actual benefits like health insurance and, and, and retirement funds, depending on the local. Uh, so it can be immensely positive. Um, I think that if you're the right person to join a local, it sort of finds you and, and those opportunities line themselves up. But uh, you can certainly position yourself to wanna be a part of, of an IA local and call the business agent when you move to a new, a new town and say, how, how can I become a member? Um, lots of opportunities though within IOTSE and you sort of know that you're going to be paid a fair wage uh, and certain health and safety standards are going to be adhered to, especially in the worst term ever new normal. I think um, a couple of things John's not hitting on because uh, I don't want to repeat what John said, certainly. One is just make sure that IATSE is attached to the venues you want to work in, right? So when I moved to Las Vegas, uh, uh, well, we won't talk about how long ago that was. Um, those Most of those hotels and the entertainment contracts were not through IATSE. Um, I don't know if they are currently, but it was a little bit of a surprise actually to me. The other thing is in terms of USA is um, theaters that have contracts with USA can only hire non-USA designers usually once before they have to become USA designers or apply or be sponsored into USA. So you can actually prohibit yourself from repeating work at a theater if you're not a, a union member. Um, depending on the trajectory of your career, of course, so. Yeah, good, good tidbits, good insight there uh, to IATSE and Union and USA. Um, again, there's plenty other uh, unions there. Um, 
I think it's also worth saying that a non-union path is also uh, uh, an equally good one as well, right? Um, each path can have can have their downfalls, and uh, each path can also have their own successes. You know, um, so it's it's navigating it in such a way that makes the most sense for you. So keeping things in mind, like Jen said, like what city are you going to live in? What venues uh, are accessible to you? And what are their contracts? And that those factors, those kind of given factors in your environment can potentially uh, provide you with that answer. Um, when I also hear the question that Jay said of how do I, how do I put myself out there uh, once graduating, it also just kind of tells me that essentially here's a person just asking to be pointed in the right direction, right? Uh, she, she brought up union, not union, but she's essentially just saying, where do I go? Where do I start to look? You know, um, yes, there's the understanding of I got a network, but like, where do I network? Uh, where, do, where, do I, where is that circle that I need to insert myself in or what resources do I need to uh, seek out? Um, so I think it's also worth mentioning uh, resources that may have been successful to us in the past and resources that we know that are pretty common in the industry uh, that are being shared. Um, we will say the caveat right here that I'm sure we won't grab them all. Uh, so we'll continue to list this, list them in some other fashion here uh, via our, our podcast. But uh, we can talk about the ones that we have used and have had success with. One of the resources that we can talk about is uh, Art Search. Uh, Art Search has been uh, pretty big in, the, in our industry, and, but it's kind of been closed off. You, you used to have to pay a fee to kind of gain access to the information. Um, but as of recently, as of the fall of 2020, it now became free and accessible to everybody. Uh, so that's great because everybody can have access and it doesn't seem like any of the postings have changed really. Uh, so people are still posting like as far as quantity or the quality of posts. Uh, so that's coming through. Um, but there's, there's a lot more kind of newer things out there you know we've always talked about uh, word of mouth is very successful in our industry but there's kind of like the the digital word of mouth uh, which is social media so you have plenty of Facebook uh, groups that have been created um, that you can go post on or seek employment from um, even a more uh, recent thing that has become uh, more official has been a production on deck. Um, uh, a great resource for BIPOC members of our industry uh, that they can kind of go seek out. And um, so that's that's been very helpful. And all this has just been created from other people that are also struggling with, where do I go? What's the direction that I need to be pointed in? In true fashion, I'm going to say if I were Jay and I was moving to Colorado Springs, I would get a list together of places that I potentially want to work. And I, at, at least 
pre-assuming we're really in a moving into a post-COVID world, I would go to those places. Um, I know that's like super old school and extra ter- extra scary, uh, but this is literally how I got my first job in New York, right? I just like walked in and started having a conversation. And then the next day I came back with my portfolio and had an interview. Um, and then the day after that, I had a job. So particularly entry level positions, I think that being in the city that you want to score that that position in is helpful. Um, and I think the the face sometimes seals the deal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And being not above anything, right? Jay's an aspiring sound person, uh, but going going to a theater, buying a ticket to a theater and going and watching a musical and going up to the person that's mixing at intermission and saying, hey, I'm new to town. I'm an aspiring sound person. Can I talk to you after the show? Having the conversation after the show, that person might say, well, I've got a load out across town tomorrow. Uh, I need some pushers. Right. And being open to taking that that pusher job to expand the network. I think on that note, too, John, colleges are a great place to go introduce yourself. Right. Um, Sometimes we don't have time to figure out who's in the area, but we need a stitcher to come in for a couple of weeks. And suddenly just to get that stitcher in, I've got to do a ton of research. How helpful would it be if some recent graduate just came and said to the receptionist, I want to meet your costume shop manager. I want to meet your costume designer, right? That would solve all of our problems. Um, So uh, colleges can be a really great place to start. You're not going to get permanent employment there. But if you're looking to have a small gig, right, and connect, that college likely can connect you to some other gigs in the area too Mm -hmm. yeah i've also noticed that there seems to be kind of like a a grouping for every discipline somewhere you know like there's in my case there's production managers forums but i know that there's a the td equivalent uh props uh, uh have an equivalent as well so i'm not an audio person but I can only imagine that there's got to be some kind of Facebook page for sound people. I know that composers, uh, they have a union as well. It's acronym I'm not familiar with. Um, conferences that I can think of for audio people, uh, NAM, N-A-M-M, as in Mary, those last two. Um, and that's very big for, uh, for audio folk but primarily in the music kind of concert world. Uh, And that's a very big conference there. They do twice a year. Uh, I want to say Vegas and Nashville. Um, So those are some good resources. Uh, I think we're overlooking USITT accidentally right now. (laughs) (laughs) Which is a huge conference, right? But also a huge jobs network and, and not just on the USITT main uh, Facebook page and main website, but then they have all their breakouts, USITT costume, USITT women's network, et cetera, where people will post positions on those networks as well. And USITT has a job board to be really direct, right? Right. right. Uh, and, and, you know, with Art Search and USITT's job board, um, there are fees associated with posting 
Uh, so you're going to get a specific type of, of job posting, and those are typically going to be job jobs, like perpetual, no end date kind of things. Yeah, bringing up USIDT reminded me that, yes, obviously there's the, the sound commission is, is always active every year uh, via the sessions that they put out and the conferences, and you're always going to have the show floor uh, that's going to give you access to the vendors and therefore whatever the newest product is. Uh, but they also do every other year, uh, they do sound lab years. Uh, so you can go in and on top of a session, on top of a show floor, you can go in and be more hands-on and you get to get more of a uh, practical education as, and, and uh, listen to that microphone and see that, that speaker and, or touch that console. Uh, so a much more hands-on approach with the manufacturers that are making the equipment or the professionals that are using the equipment on their gigs. Um, so yeah, another reason to kind of look out for them uh, there. The other um, thing about USITT, I just want to touch on real quick. Obviously they're a membership based group, but they've done a lot in the last year to try to make membership more attainable for different levels of income in the industry. Um, so if you've looked at them before and, and going to the conference before, and it's just not possible financially, which I totally get, um, take another look again this year as the conference comes up, because I think there's different uh, structures and membership levels and, and ways to pay that have made it more accessible to people. They, they have a membership sort of Netflix style subscription where there, you can pay a monthly towards your membership that makes it uh, more accessible. And, and they worked really hard to get that online. Uh, great. Great. So this is all good. I think, uh, we covered a lot of good stuff, starting off with networking and ending with these resources and and other items in between here. Um, uh, again, as mentioned, there are still even more resources out there uh, to be taken advantage of. So uh, please stay tuned on all of our social media uh, to kind of gain more information. We'll put out lists out there of what can, what else you can kind of explore and check out. Uh, if our listeners, ha uh, please chime in with anything that has worked for you. Any uh, tips and tricks uh, are always helpful for not just Jay, but other up and coming students. Hell, even uh, mid-career professionals like ourselves here, we can still take advantage of all that. Uh, so uh, as usual, please find us. Uh, you can find us on anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Welcome to Last Call. For this episode's Last Call, we're going to flip the script on Herman. And I, John, I'm going to ask Herman a little bit about himself. So Herman, why don't you go through the process like you force all of our other Last Call uh, <laughs> contestants and, and, and formally introduce yourself? <laughs> yeah, it's different being in the hot seat now. Uh yeah, so hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Herman Montero. Pronouns are he, him, his. I uh, reside and work on the land of the Seminole and Tequesta tribes. 
Um, and I, I am a, uh, I'm a father. I'm a brother. I'm a son. Uh, um, I'm an, a son of immigrant parents. I'm Colombian, more specifically. Uh, yeah, that's kind of like my background. Yeah, and, and to be fair, Herman and I have known each other for a, a long time. So uh, we're gonna skip some of the some of the background questions that we ask most of our, our folks that join us. But um, let me start off with with a tough one for you, Herman. I hope you're ready for it. <laughs> Bring it on. I know you went to college for architecture. How did you end up in live events? Uh, so my interest uh, was in live events. Uh, it started off in eighth grade when I played the role of the dentist in the Diary of Anne Frank for an English class project that we used our uh, science fair project trifold cardboard as our scenery uh and and yeah and that kind of like kind of that was that was my initial bug into the industry and that's what kind of prompted me uh so i did start the acting career path and i even got to having an agent at some point uh so i always had it i always had that interest but uh when it came time to graduate high school and going into college, then as many parents do, they're like, hey, yeah, that was a fun hobby. That's nice, but you can't make that into a living. And the compromise was to, I double majored, but in two different schools. So I was going to one university for architecture and I was going to a whole other university for technical theater. So, so what was the your first professional job as a technician or designer for that matter? Uh, as a technician, for sure, it came before designs. And as a technician, it was actually at, uh, down here in South Florida, there was, there used to be uh, this haunted house at this Greyhound track. Uh, it used to be called Terra the Track. And I got that job by answering an ad in the classifieds if we remember way back then, uh, just opening up a newspaper and it was there. Um, they, were at, they were looking for actors. And my first year I joined as an actor, it was, it was this ridiculous haunted house that had a $2 million budget, 30 rooms, two floors, uh, pretty big. And it was fun. It was just a lot of fun. I got along with my bosses and they called me June of the following year to start next year's haunted house. Uh, so by then they're like, but this time we want you to be a technician. You're an LD turned PM. How did that whole transition happen? I've always been fascinating how like something that I do affects a fellow colleague in their decision-making process and their art form and how we both or the group collaborate to put forth that one project, uh, especially as a lighting designer, you're kind of like the last one to show up in the theater. Uh, so by then a lot of pieces have already kind of come together and, but there's already been enough conversations that I know of what's going on and just kind of to see it all be brought together before my eyes has always been very interesting. An opportunity showed up where I asked them like, hey, how about you, I come, I'm gonna come back as your designer 
but there's an opening for a PM. How about you bring me back as your PM and your LD? Because um, I knew that they kind of gave me the opportunity to venture out and check out other departments even deeper. And thankfully, these organizations provided me with that opportunity and I was able to jump in as both roles in the beginning. And I just really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed kind of being like the center of the collaboration process. What do you want to hear us uh, discuss next episode? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, yeah. So I think the prompt that I wanted to bring forth to us to discuss is something that we've really been experiencing this past year, especially. Um, uh, Racism has been, anti-racism conversations have been kind of like the hip thing to talk about. Uh, But in actuality, these Uh, quote-unquote sensitive topics have been around even before this past year Uh, and the conversations whenever uh, I've noticed that whenever an organization tries to have the conversations there could be some awkwardness around it and sometimes unfortunately people are just trying to check a box but there I also note that there's people out there that are trying to have legitimate good successful conversation um but they're unsure as to how to make it successful. Um, more of like, how do you set the tone? How do you set the environment? I'm not interested necessarily for our sake at the moment to talk about what do you say in those conversations? Uh, it's more of like, how do you make the, the space a welcome space for everyone? That's heavy. Uh, I know I'm gonna learn a lot this coming episode. Um, and I really look forward to it. Well, thanks for opening up and thanks for sharing and thanks for being accessible to, to being one of the, the first of our group to have the script flipped on, on you. Thanks everyone for joining us at 801 Critical Conversations Beyond Backstage. Don't forget to check us out on social media and engage with us and ask your question. We're, we're always looking for more people to join us for last call. So, uh, So who's going to be next?